as promised, I'm going to begin. I'm not waiting. That probably isn't a minute, but I'm going to start anyway. I've got, I'm going to start with a notice. On your chairs is a, uh, a little leaflet, um, and it's from, uh, it's from Steve Mullins, who's leading the kind of evangelistic initiative that's growing in Croydon, where we're trying to work together more and more to uh, support each other's churches in sharing the gospel and in seeing people come to faith. And what Steve has asked me to do is to give you all one of these and for you to stick it on your fridge or somewhere in your Bible as a bookmark, whatever it is, and to just pray this prayer once a day for Croydon. Just pray this prayer for Croydon. And if you are interested in learning more, uh, on the other side there are details about Croydon Alive. There's a website where... Because it may be that you're talking to a friend, a neighbour, a colleague, and actually we're not the closest church. You know, you might think, actually, do you know what, I think they they might be happier somewhere else or, or whatever, you know, whatever it takes to get someone, uh, you know, a little bit closer to faith in Jesus, um, this Croydon Alive website will help you. So please do take it, put it in your Bible, stick it on your fridge, pray it every day, and do be aware of what's going on in Croydon that you might be able to link people to. Today I continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel, and I'm going to be speaking on David and Jonathan's friendship. <clears throat> Eating a brownie before I preach wasn't the most sensible idea. <laughs> I haven't drunk enough water. Um, and David and Jonathan's story is a story of a covenant made and a covenant kept. These are two faithful friends, and we see in, in their godly lives and godly example, and we see in the lives of other people how God works out his plan for the people of Israel. So just by way of a recap, um, we started the book of 1 Samuel and the judges were still leading the tribes of Israel. And the last judge, or, or the second to last judge, Eli, uh, was who we met first. You may remember the first sermon that I shared on this when I spoke on Hannah and Eli and Samuel a bit off way too much, and I've probably done the same again today. But um, so Eli was a judge uh, and uh, his sons were worthless men. That's going to be relevant to today as well. Uh, and then Samuel became the judge after Eli, and the people wanted a king. And so Samuel, uh, at their request, uh, brought Saul into, uh, into kingship. And Saul was the king that the people wanted. He was the king like the kings of the nations around them, but he wasn't a faithful, righteous king. And Saul started really well, but after a victory in battle, he offered an unlawful sacrifice, or was it before it? I forget now. And Samuel basically told him, because he did that, that his kingdom would not continue and that the Lord had sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord commanded him to be prince over his people Israel. And after Samuel tells Saul that, um, Saul and 600 men and his son Jonathan go to, uh, go to Gibeah. And I think it's interesting what happens there for two reasons, and I'm going to share this with you quickly, although it's not relevant necessarily to David and Jonathan's friendship, which is what I'm preaching on today. Saul's company includes a priest, and the priest in Saul's company is Eli's son. Now, if you remember uh, in that first sermon that I shared, Eli's sons, the Bible says, were worthless men. They, 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 they uh, perpetrated all sorts of 
evils and did not have any regard for God. And those are the sorts of men that are in Saul's entourage now. Saul, who has been told that the kingdom is no longer his, that the, 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 the anointing has been removed from him, has now got around him kind of yes-men, unrighteous men. Um, and, and that's worth noting. Secondly, after they leave Gibeah, Jonathan and his armor-bearer take on the Philistine army by themselves. And they climb this hill, and Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, if the army of the Philistines tell us to go down to them, we know that God has given them into our hands. And that seems strange to me. Surely it would be the other way round. You know, no, leave us alone, we're so afraid. And then Jonathan, but no, Jonathan says, if they, are, if they tell us to go down to them, we'll know that God's given them into our hand, which is just a bit strange. But anyway... And Jonathan and his armor-bearer go, and they begin what was a great rout of the Philistine army. And in that, in that uh, event, Jonathan says stuff that's very similar to what David said before he went into battle with Goliath. And again, it's very important that we remember that. Uh, we saw in what Nick shared a few weeks ago that David uh, was anointed to be king. And so the anointing has been removed from Saul, the anointing has been put on David, but David is not yet king. Um, after David defeated Goliath, um, he goes and he talks with Saul. And the beginning of chapter 18 says that as soon as David finished talking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And that is how the friendship of David and Jonathan began. And Jonathan gives David his robe and his armor and his belt and his sword. And so David, who wouldn't wear the king's armor, he wouldn't wear Saul's armor, now he has the prince's armor. And so in every way, he is now the king-in-waiting. Jonathan has forsaken his claim on the throne. He knows that David is going to ascend to the throne in Israel. Now, for the sake of our youth, and perhaps for you, I do want to uh, make a quick aside, because David and Jonathan's relationship is sometimes said to be a homosexual relationship, and that the fact that Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan loved him as his own soul and that they kissed one another is evidence that they were a gay couple. And I don't think this is true, and I want to give you three quick reasons why that's not. As I say, this isn't the message, but I do want to take a moment to do this. Point one is that Jonathan, Jonathan's exploits were so like David's when, when Jonathan talk, took on the Philistines, it was so like when David took on Goliath that it was like there was, a, you know, there was a shared heart for one another, a shared appreciation of, of what it means to, 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 to do that. My soul is knit to yours. You know, I love you as my own soul because I know what that takes. There's a kind of a, you know, a, a knitting together, an appreciation, you know, like a band of brothers type thing. You know, they, only they know what it's like to go through uh, an event like that and survive and see God work the victory. Secondly, and this is important but it's not conclusive, Jonathan was probably about 30 years older than David. Saul reigned for 40 years. David uh, was, um, 
David was born in the 10th year of Saul's reign, and in the third year of Saul's reign, um, Jonathan was fighting alongside his father Saul. So he was probably around 20 at that time, so the commentary told me. So he was probably around 30 years older than him. Now, I know big age gaps um, aren't necessarily uh, an obstacle to people falling in love with one another, but it's a pretty good indicator. And then lastly, and this is the important one, um, this wasn't thought until recently. You know, no one throughout history had ever seen this and felt that this was a, uh, a gay couple. So it's an example of reading an ancient document with modern eyes and reading something into it that just isn't there. If, if other forms of what the Bible says are sexual immorality, are in the life of Israel are accepted as being a part of the fabric of society. You know, we, we often see examples of adultery. We often see examples of polygamy. They're in the Bible. God doesn't condone it, but it's there. And if they are there and not hidden from, why would homosexuality be hidden if it, unless it just wasn't there? And I think that's an important point. But as I say, that is just an aside because I don't want you to hear this argument for the first time and be duped by it um, because it isn't a convincing one. Please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And I am. Their relationship spans lots of chapters, there's lots to it. And I am going to read all of chapter 20, even though it's a long one, because in this chapter we get a kind of, you know, a, a crystallised view of their relationship with one another. <laughs> Excuse me. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favour in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. 
When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do, your, to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger." But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something's happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city that my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established." Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Almost done, sorry. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. 
David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I'm sorry, that was a long passage. If I'd have taken the time to read that slowly and for full effect, you might have better grasped the love that is between Jonathan and David, how, how they keep recalling this covenant that they have made together and how they are so committed to remaining faithful to one another as friends. Saul had already tried to kill David. Saul threw a spear at him twice and David evaded him. Jonathan, Saul told Jonathan and a bunch of other people that he intended to kill David and Jonathan persuaded him not to and Saul relented. And, and again, when Saul tried to kill David, Saul's daughter... So Saul's son has already protected David. Saul's daughter, who was married to David, also protected David, and she lowered him out of a window. You see, it doesn't always take two people to tango. Sometimes, as God's people, we face opposition just for doing good, because we live in a world that is opposed to God. In John 15, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, because I called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And in the strange world of being a Christian, this is a privilege. And we read in the Beatitudes, don't we, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, blessed are you when others revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The Bible tells us rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were with you. We see just how fierce Saul's opposition of David is, just how fierce Saul's hatred of David is because he is provoked sufficiently enough to anger that he would even throw a spear at his own son. He would even throw a spear at his own son and he humiliates his son in front of the feast. And Jonathan could have denied David as well. Jonathan saw in David, he's the Lord's anointed. This is God's good plan. I, 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 I renounce my claim to the throne, Jonathan said. This is, this is better for us that David becomes king than that I do. This is God's plan. That's just one of five observations that I want to make. So that's one done, four to go. I'll try to be quick. Secondly, I want to talk about how hard it must have been for Jonathan to accept what his father was. Jonathan loved his father. Saul had already once told Jonathan he was going to kill David. Jonathan persuaded him not to. Jonathan still can't believe, even when David tells him this, Jonathan still can't believe that Saul would do such a thing. No, far be it from me. My father does nothing great or small without me knowing. You're safe. But David knew. David knew. And that's why he came back. Hopefully, Jonathan can explain 
what his father is doing. Jonathan probably thought, my father told me last time, so if he was determining to kill David, he'd tell me again. And just like I did last time, I'll persuade him not to again. It was very hard for Jonathan to see his father's heart and desires. And it led to one of the most pained goodbyes between friends that we can imagine. And I think that sometimes our desire to be impartial, our desire to see the best in people can blind us to see what's truly going on. Sometimes, in order to follow where God would lead us, we need to be willing to recognize and and reckon with difficult, uncomfortable truths. Only then can we deal with the root causes behind things. So those are my first two observations. Third one. In this passage, we see how faithful God is to look after his chosen ones. We see how faithful God is to look after his chosen one. We, we haven't read about all of their friendship. Okay? There's still more to come in the future, and we may not get to look at that. Um, these guys are faithful to one another. They are looking after one another, even though, you know, even though Jonathan being for David sets Jonathan against his father, um, we, we know that they are for one another. God saves David through his enemy's son, through his enemy's daughter, even by God miraculously intervening. And in chapter 19, uh, when Saul seeks David, uh, God causes him to prophesy and he's unable to, uh, to get him. Now, you and me don't play such an important role as David in the salvation history of Israel and the church, okay? I'm sorry to tell you that, but you don't, okay? And neither do I. But we see in God how he is faithful to look after his people, okay? You are chosen ones too. God has chosen you. You know, Ephesians tells us, doesn't it, that we are his masterpiece, created for uh, wonderful works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. There are things that God has planned for you to do that nothing will get in the way of you doing. That doesn't mean that there won't be pain. That doesn't mean that there won't be spears thrown at you. That doesn't mean that you won't feel like your very life is at risk or as if everything could fall to pieces. But God will preserve you so that you can carry out the things that he has called you to do. And I tell you this to encourage you. I tell you this so that you can be bold. Because if God is going to protect you and preserve you so that you can do the things that he's called you to do, then we can be bold, we can be courageous, can't we? Because he will see us through. Do you think David imagined that he would ever ascend to the throne as spears are being thrown at him, as he's forced to leave his wife, as he's forced to leave Gibeah and the place of power where he is imagining he is going to ascend to the throne? And God brings him through. Despite all of the opposition, God brings him through. The fourth observation is from the life of Jonathan. 
Jonathan gave up everything to see David take his place on the throne of Israel. He was the king's son. The throne was his to take if he wanted it. Saul was trying to reject Samuel's prophecy. Samuel's told Saul, you're not going to become, your, you, your kingdom is not going to last. The anointing is removed from you. It's, this is not happening. And, and Saul is hoping, do you know what? My son is a valiant guy. If I just keep going, you know, I've got these, all these people, these worthless men around me. We're, we're going we're to manage to see this through. But a quote from one of the commentaries that I've read in preparation said this, and, and we know this, don't we? True life does not consist in securing you and your kingdom, but in reflecting Yahweh's faithfulness in covenant relationships. I probably could have used a verse from the Bible rather than that quote from a commentary. I could have said, what good, does it get, what good is it for you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your own life? You know, that would have probably been better. Our lives are not about us getting what we want or what we desire. Our lives are about us being faithful to the God who has called us, who loves us, and who has a plan for us, which is better than anything that we would have for ourselves. And so we are called, to come back to that quote, to reflect Yahweh's loving faithfulness at home, at work, and everywhere we go, because that is, that is how God is glorified in our lives. And we see Jonathan's behaviour most clearly, don't we, in, in John the Baptist. When John the Baptist says in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. And that's our cry as well, isn't it? You know, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we, we want you. You're, you're the vine. I'm, I'm just a branch. I can't do anything apart from you. Without faith in you, it's impossible to please you, God. And I so want to please you because I love you so dearly, because you've saved me. So, Jesus, I must decrease. You must increase. We want to be like Jonathan. We want to be like John the Baptist. And my fifth and final observation, I've rattled through this, which is a good thing, because as I say, the choir needs to rehearse at 12.30. The the last, I mean, the Bible is full of confusing things, isn't it? This makes no sense. This makes no sense. Jonathan says to David, go in peace. Go in peace while my father seeks to kill you. Go in peace while you've been forced to leave your wife and you won't be able to come back to her again because she had to say that you forced her to let, help you to escape. Go in peace while your family's lives are at risk. Go in peace while we can't see how the call of God on your life is going to be fulfilled. It's really strange, isn't it, that Jonathan could say, go in peace to him. But there's a reason David can go in peace. And that is because David has made a covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan will protect him. David will protect Jonathan. And so even though there is trouble on every side for David, he can go in peace. We are participants of a better covenant than the covenant Jonathan and David made together. 
We are participants in a covenant that has been sealed in the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word. And so although there may be trouble on every side, we can go in peace. This is an encouragement to us that we can see in this. We can go in peace because Jesus has made a covenant with us and he is more faithful than Jonathan or David to keep it. In fact, he's faithful enough for him and us. Those are the five observations that I want to make today. Firstly, don't be surprised when you encounter opposition. The world, the flesh and the devil don't want God's will to be done. Secondly, don't let your desire to be impartial blind you to seeing what's going on. It will only slow your ability to deal with issues. We are called to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Thirdly, God is faithful to protect his people so we can be bold. We can be courageous. We can trust him in the middle of difficult times. Fourthly, it is good when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It is good for us to let him lead. We must decrease, he must increase. That's good for us. We should welcome that uh, journey uh, all the more and ever more quickly. And finally, we can go in peace because Jesus is faithful to the covenant that he has made for us. Point three and point five are very similar, aren't they? So important, though. God looks after his people. God is faithful to his people, and he will see us through. And this came through in the worship today, probably in part because this is on my heart to share with you this morning. But as as George prayed, and as I shared with you the verse that came to my mind as as I woke up in the middle of the night of of John 10.10, You know, the the enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came that we could have life in all its fullness. This is what God wants for us. That isn't the absence of trials. It isn't the absence of our own failings and weaknesses, but it is God who is faithful despite all of those things and who is still working, and so we can have confidence in him. I've finished with enough time for us to sing a song or two. I've rattled through. (laughs) Can I pray? Great, thank you. Thank you, Derek. Derek's given me permission to pray, so I'm praying. Right. Guys, can I invite you to stand? I, I, love, um, I, I love preaching through stories. I, it, comes more, it comes more easily to me than preaching through uh, the doctrines of, of the New Testament epistles. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to, you know, ju- you know, have I just made human observations today or, or have I got to the deeper meaning of the text? You know, have I, have I expressed sufficiently the importance of the covenant made before Jonathan and David and how it prefigures the covenant that we exist in with Jesus? I really want to encourage you, please go away and read these passages. Be encouraged by how God works through his people 
And I'm going to pray now before the band lead us. Father, I thank you that you provide men and women for us to walk with who help us to follow after you, who strengthen us when it's hard, who stand with us when it's hard, and, and Lord, who you use to lead us through the difficulties that we face. And so I pray right now that, that whatever we are facing, and based on what's come out in the service today, I think that there are definitely some of us who are facing things that, that we feel helpless in the face of. You are faithful. You are at work. And so I pray, would you, uh, would you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you cause hope to rise in the face of adversity? Lord, if there are people even slinging spears at us, Lord, I thank you that, that you will keep us safe. I thank you that you will see us through. And so we pray, would you lead us and speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.